Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to some of you and welcome to my new friends and my new friends in Nigeria. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Snyder, and I'm here to offer sonic comfort and conversation to all the women out there who don't have time for bullshit or burnout. Each episode, I want to introduce you to women who are really walking their talk. And we have so much to learn from today's guest, Kate Nana Ibembo. There's so much we're going to cover today. Owning your personal space and exhibiting grace under duress, especially as a working mom with a special needs son. We're going to talk about navigating ultimatums in a man's world, or at least a man's workplace. And we're also going to talk about the importance of making and taking the quiet time. Before I tell you more about Kate and turn you over to the conversation, I want to let you know how much I deeply love creating this podcast for all of you. And it's been steadily growing thanks to all of your help. Now, podcasts take a lot of time, effort, energy, and resources to produce. And I'm not asking you for any money, but I am going to ask you to help in two ways. One, if anything in this episode moves you or resonates or makes you think of someone else in your life, please share this episode in whatever way is most convenient for you. Even sharing this show with one person makes a difference. Also, please subscribe to the monthly newsletter. In one, maybe two emails each month, you'll get links to my latest and future podcasts. Plus, you'll get tips for slaying bullshit and sidestepping burnout. And anytime you reply to that newsletter, it's going to land directly in my personal inbox. And you can sign up over at levitalcoresalon.com or you can text SALON, S-A-L-O-N, to 444 999. Again, you can text SALON to 444-999. Thanks for helping support this podcast in those two ways. There are people that I meet in this world that I literally feel the sphere of energy around them. Today's guest, Kate, is one of those people, and I had the privilege of getting to meet her in person and seeing her just be her amazing Kate self. When I got to go to the Professional Woman Controllers Conference earlier this year and join hundreds of air traffic controllers, and through the president, who some of you may remember back from episode 31, Patty Wilson, I got to meet Kate. And the rest, they say, is history. So you all have a little bit of context about who she is. Over 11 years, Kate has worked her way up to Chief Air Traffic Controller at the International Airport in Aikja, Lagos. And that's in Nigeria, for those of you who are not up on your geography these days. Then she worked her way over to the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority as an air safety inspector earlier this year. Outside of work, she's a caring wife, a nurturing mom of three adorable boys, and she is a speaking, writing force for good. She's tirelessly inspiring and connecting her air traffic control sisters, young girls, and really any woman who crosses her path. And we're going to learn more about the details of what that looks like. 
if it feels like you're coming into the conversation already happening, you are. Turns out, Kate and I were so excited to get going that we never really properly or formally set up the interview. I figured you wouldn't mind. Voila, meet Kate. Just that I'm just so excited that you reached out to me because what you just did is something that is so uh, passionate to me. I'm all about each one, rich one, and you're doing just that. And I'm so privileged that you brought me into this beautiful platform. So, Kara, thank you so much. From the deepest part of my heart, I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. Kate, you're welcome, but I feel like the thank you is from me. Like, when I met you at the PwC conference, I'm sure you hear this from other people all the time, but you literally... I think at one point I just thought like your presence is kind of like rolling thunder. Like you're not like loud, but it's like your presence is so grounded and so powerful at the same time. Oh my God. You're making me tear. Oh my God. We're going to be a disaster as we record. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Thank you. Really, the honor is all mine. I am so excited to learn from you and learn from your perspective and learn from your experience. Yeah, we're going to both learn from each other. That's what sisters do. We learn from one another. Yeah. Yes. So maybe so everyone listening knows a little bit about like where you are in life right now and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You worked your way up over what I believe is the better part of a decade until you were the chief air traffic controller in mm-hmm. at the airport in Nigeria. Yeah. And then earlier this year, right around the time that we met, you tr- were transitioning to air safety inspector with the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority. That is true. Can you talk about what that role is so people outside of aviation listening understand kind of what you do and where you're going to be coming from? Okay, um, yes, I am an air traffic controller with the Nigerian Airspace Management Agency. That is where I worked for 12 years. And uh, like you rightly said, um, shortly before I came for the PwC 48th anniversary where I met you in Virginia, I, was tra- I transferred my service to the Nigerian Civil Division Authority as an air safety inspector. So what it actually does is I perform oversight functions on all service providers in the aviation sector, making sure that all the rules, all the sit-down procedures are followed according to the ICAO standard and, and recommended practices, you know, because aviation is a, is a global village so that we make sure we are at par with whatever is happening outside Nigeria as, as a country. So that's basically where I, I am now. So I'm growing you know, on the job, learning every day, asking questions and getting, um, you know, fielding. So it's been a wonderful experience and I'm loving it. So that is what I do. Is it a bit different? Because I'm guessing for the first part of your career, were you actually like in a tower or like a radar facility? Yeah, you know, in here in Nigeria, I was in the tower for a number of years where I got my, the aerodrome and the approach license. It's called the A and B. But, uh, and what does that license year, do? It, it, it gives you jurisdiction over some certain, you know, um, area of control. 
in a traffic control. Got so it. So I had my, yeah, I had my A and B licenses. So, but in the year 2016, I had to proceed again to the Nigerian College of Aviation Technology in Zaria. That's the northern part of Nigeria. Nigeria is rather into the north, south, east, and west. So I moved from the west, being Lagos, up to the north, you know, to the College of Aviation, Zaria, to do my uh, an area procedure. So that basically took me to the track and so. I, I, I wasn't a tracker before I was moved to the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority. So I had transitioned from the tower to the tracker. Yeah. Got it. And can you explain what a, a, a track on or a tracon facility, as we say on, on this side of the pond, mm-hmm. can you talk about what that is? Because even getting to talk to people at the conference and, and, learn what that is my mind was a little bit boggled like because you're if i'm understanding it right you're looking at what's going on in kind of a certain column of airspace but in three-dimensional models on a computer Mm -hmm. is that right yeah yeah that's true on the radioscope so at the the tracon you call it that we call it tracon here (laughs) at the tracon we actually potato potato exactly (laughs) so uh what we basically do there is to provide air traffic uh, control services to aircraft within our airspace. So what we basically do in, in tracking here is to control the aircraft that are being transferred from the tower approach to the area control and make sure they transition safely to the neighboring FI hours. So that is basically what we do. So we do that with the radar which gives us, you know, an idea of the flight level, you know, the speed, the type of aircraft. So it makes it easier to keep track of the traffic and make sure you have a safer airspace. So that's basically what we do there in a nutshell. So it's, um, it's like, it's a teamwork. So we all work together as a team, each man in, you know, different positions and make sure there's a seamless control. Make sure the aircraft exit our airspace safely or come into our airspace safely till they are transferred to the tower for landing. Got it. So I just want to confirm, and I, I think Patty and I had touched on this in our podcast episode way back when. So it sounds like when we get on a plane as people, the tower that you see at the airport is who is sort of the boss of what's going to happen. And they're communicating with the pilot. Then at a certain point during the flight, the tower basically hands it off to you in the, the Tracon facility. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true. Uh, because like I said earlier on, um, there's every of the, of the units have jurisdiction. Like here in Nigeria, the, the tower controls the aircraft till 3,500 feet. And then okay. you get to transfer the aircraft to the approach you know, uh, unit. So the, the, the man at the approach unit controls the aircraft till flight level 145 and transfers the aircraft to the man who is manning the radar on, at the area control center. So he takes care of the aircraft, you know, to whatever flight level the aircraft is going to, 310, 410, as the case may be, and make sure the aircraft is, you know, on its filed cruising level till it either exits or it gets transferred to another, you know, controlling units so there's jurisdiction so it's it's like um how do i how do i explain it it's like, like everyone's every, holding every, hands every, 
right? Yeah, a relay race. Yes, you, you get to pass the baton from one sprinter to the other till the other one gets to the finish finish line. So that's how it works. So it's like a seamless transfer of control from one uh, point to the other. You know, to make sure you know we have a holistic a traffic control service. That's exactly what happens. Got it. Now that you're working as an air safety inspector, you're not up in the tower or in the facility anymore, right? Are you, where are you working from now? And are you working from different places? No, I am working right now from the headquarters of the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority here in Lagos. Okay. So, yeah, but what I do is I, I still, you know, get to get to the tower to, you know, put in an hour or two to, you know, recurrency to make sure I'm, I'm still, you know, up to date with my license. Got because it. That's basically, that's basically my first, you know, point of call is, a, is an air traffic controller. So I need to make sure I, uh, I keep abreast to whatever is happening, traffic volume, any change in, in procedures and all that. So, and it's very reflexive I- too, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but after the conference, I got to do a tour of the tower at DCA or Reagan, mm-hmm. Na- Reagan National. Yeah. And so I kind of got to see and observe like what it looks like in the tower and how people are working. And it seems like everything is very, how do I put it? Like your skills are so refined that everything almost just seems like a reflex. It, it is. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a well-oiled wheel. You know, it, keeps, it just keeps rolling. The reflexes are so are so distinct. Some things you just do it because it's, it's already honed into you. That's true. We work a lot on, on reflexes and, you know, at a snap of a finger, you know, you need to take decisions and make sure you give it precisely to the to the pilot to make sure things work out you know, well. Yes, because any any little uh, breakdown in communication or hesitation can lead to a lot of you know things. You just like and not good little, things. Uh, yeah, yeah, not good. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little shift can make the cookie crumble. So everybody is ready and always willing to put in their best and make sure you know that's true. So I imagine you want to keep that mental muscle toned. The funny thing about air traffic control is this. Even when you're going to work and you're like, oh, no, what a day. I feel so tired. The moment you step your feet into that facility, you just see that every of your senses is at 110% alert. That is one thing it does to you. So once you get into the facility and you assume control, Every bit of weariness, of tiredness leaves you because at that time, you just know that every aircraft flying within the, your airspace at that time and all the number of passengers you know, in, on board the aircraft are your sole responsibility. It kind of kickstarts your adrenaline. Everything yeah. that comes, <laughs> yes. It's like a serious adrenaline rush for that number of hours you're going to sit there to give active control. So that's what happens. So once you get in there, it's like, go, 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 just do it. And you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you know, making sure you give your best at every point in time. And I was in amazed the- watching people, the state of flow that people who are in their, you know, respective positions in a tower or in a facility, it's like, I feel like a bomb could go off like a foot away from you and, and you probably wouldn't notice. 
You wouldn't know. That, you know that, that, thank you, Kara. That is true. Do you know um, there was an incident where I was at work? I was on active control and we had some visitors from the presidency. We actually had the minister of aviation there in the tower, you know, with some group of people. And at a point in time, the background noise was kind of, you know, filtering into my headset. And I felt the, the, the pilot was hearing what was happening in the tower. You know, do you know what I did? I just turned back and said, please, can everyone keep quiet? <laughs> and the, and Dear the minister went, piped down. I'm telling you, everybody kept quiet. You know, it's something that you, you, wouldn't, you don't know what is happening around your space at that particular point in time. Because all you're focused on is making sure the aircraft are well separated, they are being brought down safely, and there's nothing that will impede the safety of, you know, air traffic control. So that, that's exactly what happens. Once you're there, everything around you dies. What is a life is just the people you're talking to who are the pilots. That's true. That's true. Kate, how did you initially become an air traffic controller or decide this was what you were going to do? Wow, that's an interesting question. You know, each time I get asked this question, I tell, when I tell people how I got to get into the job as an air traffic controller, they're like, really? Uh, basically, that was in the year 2005, if I'm right. I remember my, my fiancé then, that's my husband now, called me in my parents' house and he's like, I saw a work um, advertisement and I think you're going to do well in it. And I'm like, really? He said, I, I actually applied for you and I need you to call. And I'm like, don't say it. He said, yes, I applied for you and I need you to come ASAP to write the exams. And I'm like, what does it, what does it, and he said, I know you do well, just come. And my parents were like, okay, you go. And boy, oh boy, I packed my bags and hopped, you know, into a bus and I came over to Lagos. And when I got to Lagos, he said, you need to proceed all the way to Zaria at the College of Aviation to write the exams. And I'm like, really? I never got to see the advert in the, in the newspapers. I never got to see anything. He did all the application by himself and submitted it on my behalf. Oh, you know, my God. Like, were you yes. delighted or were you like, what are you thinking, man? And I, um, I was like, you know, I was fresh out of you know, school. I was looking for a job. And I'm like, okay, there's no harm in trying. Let me just go give it a, give it a shot. And off I went to Zaria. I remember when I got to Zaria, I got there a little bit late. When I got to the venue, people had already, you know, were already seated for the exams. And I was the last person that entered into the hall. And I remember the examiner asking me, why are you this late, lady? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I had some issues on my way. And she said, okay, have a seat. And, you know, and I, I got to sit the very front row of the, of the exam <laughs> hall. Yes. Everybody had taken a back seat. You know how it is. Yes. So she was like, yes. So I sat there and then I wrote, I wrote the exams. And after the exams, we were told to just, you know, step out for some minutes. And then they were like, okay, yeah, you, you need to check back into this time to see if you, you know, passed. And I'm like, okay. 
So after two days, I went back to the Clever Aviation, and lo and behold, I saw my name on the board. <laughs> I passed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is how I got into air traffic control. So I owe it to my husband 110%. He did it, and I'm happy he did it because I don't think I would have been good at any other job than what I'm doing because I love the job. That is how I got into air traffic control. Kate, my head is still this. spinning taking this seriously, in. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. I never heard about air traffic control before in my life. I didn't know nothing about air traffic control. All I knew about aviation was you know, uh, the cabin crew, you know, the air hostesses, the pilots, the engineers. I never knew anything about air traffic control till my husband did that. So that is how I got into air traffic control. So did you at some point go back and get a copy of the ad and like frame it somewhere? (laughs) Do you know I didn't do that? Seriously, I never did. I never did. And I remember a friend of my mom, got got the ad and, and told my mom I saw your daughter's name somewhere so maybe I need to go back ask the man if he has it <laughs> or what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the newspaper you know to their website and see if I can get a copy from there that's a good suggestion because I need to tell the stories to my children and my grandchildren and I should be able to show them what their, their, their granddad did that's true thanks Sarah <laughs> yes I'm going to do that you're welcome I definitely want a picture if you find it I will. I'll surely send you one. Well, that's, that's, that's true. So literally in the course of like, what, say a week, it went from you were someone who had just graduated from college and was looking for a job to yes. now you've passed this exam. It was yes, that fast. Exactly. It was that fast. It was. And, you know, after the written examination, the successful candidates had to undergo the oral examination or were interviewed. Then when you pass the interview, you go in for the medicals. So at every point in time, people were being dropped, you know. But I was just so lucky. I, I, I you know, I think I was destined to be, to be who I am, an air traffic controller. So I passed through all the, the three steps and, and, and I made it. So when you passed that exam and you were like, oh, I guess this is an option now. Like mm-hmm. at, that, at that point, were you given some guidance like, here's what comes next, here's how to be prepared for it? Or were you just kind of totally overwhelmed in this process? No, I was there as blank as a clean slate. I had no idea what, there was nothing to prepare me for what I was going in for, you know, because I remember after the exams, we were told to report back to the College of Aviation in like six months' time. And within that six months, my husband had come to do the uh, initial introduction. You know, I want to marry your daughter and all that. And, you know, <laughs> yes, you know, we did the, the normal thing, you know, the right thing. So I was kind of, you know, a little, I was married when I was going back to the aviation college, you know. <laughs> so it, it, seriously, it, it, was, it was such a funny, um, that was 2005, in 2006, December 2006, 30 December, I got married. Yes. So I, I, I had to leave wow. the Wow. Yes. So I got married in December 2006. And then I had to go back to finish up, you know, my uh, diploma in air, standard air traffic control in 2007. So but that's was, a wild year. Uh, it, oh, it, it was. I didn't have any honeymoon. 
I remember crying my eyes out. I'm like, oh. no, I don't want to go back. Yes. And he's like, you need to go. You need to do it for us. And once I heard you need to do it for us, I'm like, okay, I need to do it for us. I had to go back, concentrate, forget about all the, you know, new, uh, new bride, you know, attitude. I had to get down to work and make sure, you know, because at the point in time in my class, I was the only lady in a class of 16. I was the only lady in the class. Yeah, so, but subsequently, another lady joined me, so we became two in a class of 16. So we're two, two ladies and 14, you know, guys. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was an experience because along the line, too, I, I got pregnant with my first son. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you are, I feel like there are so many questions coming to my mind right now, Kate. <laughs> I know. So I know. literally you were one of 16 women. Then thankfully you got sort of a partner in crime in the process. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she joined me. She was wonderful. She became a friend. She became a sister. You know, uh, her name is Kafilat. She was wonderful. She almost literally was my babysitter when I was pregnant. You know, because at the point in time, you know what? Uh, feeling not too good to go to class. I couldn't do things for myself. She was always there. So it was like she was a godsend. So I was so grateful she joined the class. Oh, my gosh. And so you are going through this and, you know, hearing bits and pieces from everyone's experience when we were both in D.C. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a grueling process to become an air traffic controller. And you were pregnant. During this I process. At a point in time, I remember there were so many days I broke down. There was a time I was sick for like seven days for a week. I was out of class. I was so, so sick. The doctor said I needed to rest. I was so stressed. My baby was stressed. You know, I had to stay, you know, in my room for seven days. I didn't go for classes. I didn't go for the practicals. And I, I was And then panicking at the same yeah, time, panic, right? Yes. Like, oh God, I still have a lot to you know, to catch up with. But I thank God, you know, I was able to I was able to do it. It wasn't easy. I I'm, and I'm not gonna lie to you, it wasn't easy. How did you keep going? Thankfully I had a beautiful support group in my classmates. Wonderful people, wonderful people, wonderful people. And many of us, I'm still best of friends with so many of them. You know, I remember there was a day I was craving ice cream so badly <laughs> that I looked up and I just told one of them, I'm like, Lekon, I need to eat ice cream now. And he said, yes, ma'am. And he <laughs> left to buy me ice cream. Yes. <laughs> you know, I remember, I, I reminded him when my son clocked 10 years old, I, I sent them a picture of my son at 10 thanking all of them for helping me when I was pregnant with that boy. And they were like, oh my God, he's grown so big. And I'm like, thank you, Susan Person. Thank you for the time you went to get ice cream. Thank you for the time you went to get this. You know, I thank them individually. They were so nice to me. They were very, very helpful, very caring, very. That, that, that's what helped me, yes. That's amazing, especially what you're describing from such a male-dominated class of yeah. men, right? Yeah. Like, this was 14 yeah. men. But yeah. clearly, there was such camaraderie there. Yes, there was. There was. And there still is to today. Yes. That's for my set, for my, for my group, you know, for my group. We were just like a peculiar class. 
you know so it really helped it is it is the whole the whole burden for me you know because i remember when i when, when we graduated from the from the college i was seven months gone so oh my very, god yes i was heavy my nose was swollen i was looking so round you know but i had to do it and you, because they kept, you did it they kept telling me yeah they kept telling me you you, you can do it just do it for yourself and your baby so I had to do it. I and love I'm, that I'm, everyone around you was like, do it for us. Like your yes. husband initially, do it for us. Yes. And then it yes. was like, now do it for three of us. For three of us. <laughs> I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. And so you're, you're describing this amazing experience and being supported by this, this class, mm-hmm. right? By one woman, 14 men. And you are all like fighting to get through. Has your experience working in a male-dominated environment continued to stay like that? No. <laughs> no. Oh, in, part of me was, no. like, hoping for, like, an amazing, like, yes, yeah. it's so different here in no. Nigeria you know, than it is in the United States. You know, it's, it's always a cliche when they say it's a man's world. Some people take it literally, and it sucks. Yes, it, it does. It sucks. So I've had issues where my female controllers, my I call them my sisters, some have had to, you know, get some hard knocks, you know, for being female in the profession. It has its prizes. I remember when I had my second son, who is such a cute little boy. He's so handsome. But he had some medical issues. I, ha- I have a, a son who has you know, some health challenges, his has special needs. And at that point in time, uh, he was diagnosed uh, with her cerebral palsy. So I was in and out of hospital. There are some days I, I get to the hospital from, from, from work. My husband packs up the bag and tells me, meet me at the hospital. Oh, my you know? gosh. Yes, it was crazy. And I remember one of my supervisors calling me. He didn't call to ask me how my son was doing. He called to tell me to choose between my job and my son. Kate, yes. I am. I I wish I could say I was surprised, but then again, I'm not surprised at the same time. Yeah. But I am sorry that you had to, you had to get a call like that at that point in your yeah. life. He told me, uh, "I'm I'm tired. You know, it's always your son. You have to choose between this boy and your job." And I remember crying so bitterly in the hospital room. And my husband kept telling me, what's the problem? What is it? So I tell my husband and he's like, who do I call? He was so angry. He was so confused. Yes. You know, he was so confused. Dealing with a child who has serious health issues and dealing with a wife who is crying her, her eyes out. You know, but I thank God, you know. We, we crossed that bridge, and here we are today. It wasn't easy, I won't lie to you. It wasn't easy. It's not easy working in a male-dominated environment. I tell people, the earlier you accept the, the, the fact and begin to put down your feet and make them know that you're there for the long haul and you're there to, to give your input better. So I don't, I, don't do, I don't throw any pity party. No, I don't. Was that something you had to learn or was that something 
inherently in you? Like, did you know, like, when you were training, when I get into this role, I am going to have to be ready for this, let's be honest, bullshit? (laughs) I didn't see it coming. Nobody tells you. There's no handbook, you know, on what you're going to get when you get into the job. But, you know, people are different with their peculiarities and their personalities. There are people you meet, they rob you the wrong way. The people you meet... You know, they are a little bit lenient. And the people you meet, they are just pack of bullshit, you know. Initially, it was a shock. I realized I had to buckle up. You know, when you get a, when you get a punch, you know, in the guts, do you stay doubled up or do you stand up and, you know, face your attacker? So that's what I did. I, I realized I needed to be strong for myself. To make sure I learn on the job and put in my best as an air traffic controller. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to ask you, are you a woman or a man? They're going to ask you, did you do the job? And you can't give an inch, right? Like, Because I feel like when you are in an environment like that, and for me, it was I was in finance before I did this work. You wow. know, and I feel like there were moments where it was, as a woman, you had to do the job like 110%. Because you While couldn't did ninety percent, yeah, yeah, because you couldn't give yeah. them any room to call you out on slacking or not being a team member or not I doing know. the work. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I know. I know. I know that feeling. You know, I, you know, I've I've had situations where I hear people talk so badly about females. You know. I know, uh, you know, like I remember when uh, Patty was talking about pregnancy and work at the conference. Oh, they were talking about, you know, uh, breastfeeding mom, trying to get a nursery for them over there in the U.S., which we don't have here. So, and someone is, I had, I had a friend, a colleague of mine who was pregnant, but she had proclaims here. Oh, no. She had proclaims here. And she couldn't get time off. They couldn't give her time off to go take care of herself till it was so bad. At the end of the day, she lost the baby. Yes. She oh, lost the baby. She sh- almost lost her life. Yes. And she became so bitter that, you know, someone who had what it, you know, it takes to say, okay, I'm going to give you some, you know, maybe leave without pay. Just go take care of yourself. Said, no, you're not going to go because you are just staffed. This, this, that. And at the end of the day, she had complications and she lost the baby. So she became so bitter. And a lot of, you know, a lot of things as women, in as much as we try to fit in and do a job, once in a while, the female anatomy and our makeup, which is natural, doesn't allow you to do some certain things. I just feel, you know, in that aspect, they should be able to cut the women just a little few inches of slacks you know, to make sure they are just and fitting right again. It sucks. Though there are still some men who are ready to give you all the push-ups and all the prep talk to make sure you measure up. Why some are just busy. All they need to do is, you know, she has to go down. Any little mistake you make makes them, you know, they, they, they kind of pick on it, you know, and magnify it and make you look as if that is, that is your weakest point. Whereas you've been putting in a lot of effort, just that little time you sleep. So they kind of pick on it. That is one thing I didn't like or I don't like in the setting. So you know, that's the I, power dynamic. Like they're yeah, coming yeah. in and it's 
we'll just we'll pick apart this little piece of your work mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. either aggressively sort of beginning the fight or kind of retroactively on the other side kind of to make sure you understand who's boss still yeah i don't know what is obtainable over there in the u.s but i think it's something that's peculiar world round that when you're in a male-dominated uh, environment that spike of testosterone comes up once in a while you know, like this is our territory you're just there for a moment but i keep telling my my fellow uh, sisters we are here to stay we are here to make our mark in a very subtle but powerful way. And what that does, or what it means, is that we should come together as a tribe, as a tribe of women looking out for one another, you know, each one reaching one, pushing one another to make sure, you know, you, we do it for ourselves, not just for an individual gain. That is the only way we can be able to let them know that we are not just a piece of the puzzle, we are part of the puzzle. So if you remove us, there won't be a complete picture at the end of the day. So hopefully we're getting there. Hopefully we'll get there sooner than we expect. And Kate, what does that look like for you? Because I, just in the limited amount of time that we got to meet previous to us talking today, I have a sense that you are not someone who sits back and idly just kind of watches a problem happening in front of you. I have a very strong suspicion that you are a bit of a doer and a bit of an action taker and probably a little bit of a disruptor of sorts in all the greatest ways. <laughs> so what does this look like when you when you kind of look around and you're like, I want to bring my sisters together in a tribe so that we can all advance in this profession? What does that look like? It gives me a sense of fulfillment a, a sense of uh, responsibility seriously you know i remember when i attended pwc in the year 2012 that was in new orleans i came to new orleans that was the first time i was flying out of my country that was the first time wow yes that was the very first time i came to new orleans i didn't know anyone i came and i was pregnant with my third son <laughs> Yes. You get more done when you're pregnant than the average woman. I came came to New Orleans. I didn't know anyone. All I knew was I had communicated with Dawn, the conference chairperson for the year. We had, you know, exchanged emails and all that. I got to New Orleans. I got to the hotel. and, uh, And I knew I had to go back and bring my sisters. I just knew. There was a shift in me as a person, individually and, you know, profession-wise. So I just knew I had to go back and tell them of what I saw and the need for us to come together as one force. And I went back to Nigeria and I talked to them. And the next year in Philadelphia, you know, we, we were six ladies that came from Nigeria for the PwC conference. That is wild. And I mean, your work is not sponsoring you to go. So like you are coming out of your own pockets to come. I was blown away. Like when I think I got to speak to a few of the women from Ghana, right? That were there this year. And it was like, Mm. yeah, we we pay for ourselves to get here. 
I've paid for myself for all the number of conferences I've attended. Because I, I told them, let me tell you something. There's something you cannot just deny yourself. That's a personal growth. That's, that, that is something you owe yourself. And when I came to New Orleans in 2012, I knew this is something I need to keep doing if I needed to grow as a person, as a professional in my field and as a person. So, and when they came with me in the year 2013 to uh, Philly, they saw that too. And uh, I remember two other two in the year, uh, that was in uh, Orlando, Florida. Two other persons came with me for that year. And subsequently, I've been, I've been coming alone because, you know, it takes a lot out of your pocket to do that. Yes, that is it not a cheap a or easy trip. It, 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 it's not, so... It's, it's something you save up to. So, but I, I like, uh, but we had some issues which um, Patty has tried to address. And that was the issue of uh, visa denial from the, the American consulate, uh, consulate here in Nigeria, denying some of the control, FMA controllers visas to visit the U.S. So we were trying to see how we can, you know, work around that because I actually want the younger ones to come out and see because you, you don't just come out. When you come back, there's a different you that people see. So I saw it in myself in 2012, and I've kept coming back and coming back. And the Mapi, those who came with me, have also seen that, and are also making plans to come back. So that is, what I, I, like you said, I, I don't just sit down when I see things not going well. You know, like I told you when we were in the bus that day, going to uh, St. Ben, I was in a meeting where they were talking about recruitment. Yes. I was the only this is the story. When we initially met in a bus yes. on our way yes. to a field trip, Yes, I heard you tell this story, and I literally knew in that moment, I was like, I need to have a longer conversation with Kate. And then I think I developed a little bit of like a fangirl crush on you over the course of the week. Cause I'm like, <laughs> this woman is just like such a badass in all the best ways. <laughs> you know, I'm the kind of person I like everyone around me being comfortable, but at the same time, not giving up my personal space, but let everybody be comfortable and make sure we, maximize our potentials and see what we can give out that is what makes the world go around and makes the world you know beautiful and colorful so i'm there in the meeting and the the discussion gets heated up people are bringing opinions someone said no we can have the ladies you know come in and they get pregnant and give birth and they go on maternity leave and they get paid you know and someone said i think we should do what the military is doing we should stop taking female air traffic controllers. And I literally died where I was sitting. And you're the only was, woman in the room at this point, yes, right? I was shaking badly, yes. I was and they the have room. no idea that you're in the room. They like, actually forgot, they forgot I was there. I remember saying, excuse me. And everybody turned. And I'm like, how can you say that? I asked the other man that was saying, yeah, I support. I'm like, do you have female, you know, females as daughters, right? What happens if tomorrow they want to come into air traffic control and you have already enacted a rule saying there should be no female air traffic controllers? How would you feel? I actually uh, brought up the issue of this lady that lost her child because they couldn't relieve her to go take care of herself. I did that. I also pointed out to them of a, a, a colleague of mine 
who got pregnant and was weeping because she was scared of what the supervisor was going to talk about that she was pregnant while on training. And I'm like, why, why should that be? Why should that be? If you, if you don't want us in the profession, please, when you place the advert, say no females allowed and let everybody know about that. You don't do that and come to the back. And I think when I spoke up, I actually broke down crying. I was crying. I was just going to ask you, because I don't think we talked about this at the time. Like, were you able to keep it together until you left the room? Or like, literally, I, were there rage tears? I was so enraged. I was crying as I was talking. I was weeping. I was so sad, you know. But uh, the other of my, my contemporaries who were there were just like, it's okay. So I'm like, that is good. This is total BS. <laughs> With a capital B and a capital BS. S. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This is total BS. That wasn't, that wasn't nice, you know. But along the line, the director of operations, you know, said, no, uh, we're not going to go to that extreme because I know the military don't do that. The military take women. So why, why should we? You know, they not they kind of now soft pedaled. But I'm, I was happy. I was able to convey the way I felt. I was happy. I was able to, you know, tell them that that wasn't the right approach. That wasn't. If you think any person as an individual has an issue and she is a female, what you need to do is set up a machinery in place and find out why she is behaving the way she's behaving. There could be some factors that you don't know. You know, that's what is called you know, personal relationship, call the person psychologically. She could be having issues. Talk to her. So you don't say because a finger is soiled, so you're going to cut off the whole palm. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't do that. That's true. What you do is to make sure the soiled finger is cleaned up so it doesn't soil the other fingers. But you must find out why that finger is soiled. You don't say because the finger is soiled, so chop it off. Or no, just cut off the whole palm and, and let the, the person go with one palm. So... Um, I'm, I was happy that I was able to talk or speak that day. And I, I know a few of them, they were like, oh, that's true, that's true. And when I came out and I told some of my female colleagues, they were so angry. So I was like, oh, thank God you were there. But I just told them that what this means is that we should be able to come together as a cohesive front. You know, each one looking out for the other. It's enough of the tearing down, more of building up. We should be able to have each other's back. The way the military do at the battlefront, those who are at the front have people watching out for them. So that's what we should be able to do for ourselves. And I think what I did was come back to Nigeria, try to set up PwC here as a local chapter. I've been in talk with uh, Paddy, you know, we've done some, you know, back and forth correspondences. We've reached out to the governing body here to register it as an entity. You know, we've locally come together. I was able to get all the names of all female controllers in Nigeria together under a WhatsApp group. So we chat, we encourage ourselves, you know, and it, it, it kind of formed a bond. And I'm so happy, you know, uh, on how far we've grown as an entity within a group. Yeah, because even if it's not a formal PwC chapter, I mean, yes, the fact yes. that, like, you are collectively working towards that, but mm -hmm. then still, even in this like nebulous, you know, WhatsApp form, like, yeah, you're at least connecting and you're, you're building a support network. So that's, that's the truth. That's the, the right word, support network. Do you know that in the history of NETCA in Nigeria for the very first time, 
we have two ladies contesting in the upcoming Latka elections. It has never happened before. Really? It has never happened before. And you can quote me anywhere. Because of this coming together, it has given us like a backbone. You know, everybody is rooting for these two ladies. Go and get it. Do it for us. Which wouldn't have been before because we are all operating as individuals. But now we are together as, you know, as, as a common front. So everybody is rooting for these two ladies. And, and I was telling them, if we put pitch in our votes for these two ladies in these different positions, they're going to get it. And that has, that will make a landmark. There will be a shift in the way females are looked at as air traffic controllers in Nigeria. Kate, this is amazing. Yes. This is utterly amazing. So it's, it's been a wonderful experience. We've been able to tap you know, so, so much experience from the older ones, which we couldn't do before. Some people couldn't even approach some of these older you know, lady controllers. But because we're together in the forum now, people get to share ideas. People get to share advices, you know, admonitions. So it's, it's more like a family affair. So it's, it's beautiful. Seriously, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful experience. Well, it sounds mm-hmm. like you've been highly motivated by the concept of like working for us. And now yes. that us like w- is your family still, but now it's extended to this sort of female work family. Yes. Some of my colleagues some have become like, you know, my adopted sisters. Yes. You know, I've formed you know, there's this uh, relationship that has blossomed over the years. Where someone calls you and begins to confide in you, you know, of some of the challenges he or she is going through, that begins to tell you that actually you're, you guys are making a progress. You know, I, it's, it's, Kara, it's, it's heartwarming. It's, it's mind boggling of the growth so far. So I, I can't just wait to see how, how we evolve over the years or how we impact, you know, and just make our own mark as female traffic controllers in Nigeria. I have no doubt you all will. I feel like there's going to be like a book or a movie about this someday. Like <laughs> all hopefully. of you like toppling the patriarchy yeah. in Nigeria. Seriously. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I just want us to, it's, it's, uh, you know, as I was telling a colleague, it's, it's not a just tool for supremacy. It is just equal right. I don't want to fight for what is yours. Just give me what is mine. That is all I want. I, I, I don't want to expend my energy fighting for what doesn't belong to me. I would rather invest that energy in building what is mine. So give me my space and watch me grow. That is all I want for I and my sisters. That, that, that's basically, and, and it's something that transcends not just air traffic control, any garden where women are. Let's live our lives and give you all what we have. It's been a worthwhile experience. I've learned so much from the younger ones. I've learned so much from the older ones. I've learned so much from the men who are willing to, you know, give the guiding, you know, light. I've learned so much from those who said no. They are not actually made me stronger. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, it has actually, you know, strengthened my resolve to be better. Even at times where you feel like, oh, no, I can't just do it. When you remember those that said no to you, it makes you get up and put in extra effort to make sure nobody says, I told you so. so yes. Yes. <laughs> you are speaking to a like-minded woman. It's like, oh, yeah. you told me no? 
Hell no, so I'm, I'm not taking that. that. I'm gonna, exactly, I'm going <laughs> to prove you wrong. So it's, it's, it's been a worthwhile experience. And I imagine the collective experience that when you get someone that comes to any of you and says, hey, I'm having this awful situation at work right now. I don't know how to get through this. Like, literally, if it's not something you've personally experienced or someone else has personally experienced, I imagine you are all pretty adept at this point of like, but I do know who's experienced this. And like, yes. let's get you in touch. Yeah, yeah. You see people giving advices. If you haven't experienced it, you know someone who has gone through that experience. So people are willing to come out and say, this is how I handled it or this is how you should have done it. Or this you is know. how not to do it. Do it, exactly. <laughs> right. This is how to do it, yes. Like I said, it has become a tribe. You know, it, a tribe looks out for its own. That's what it is. Unbelievable. And what also is unbelievable to me is this is just what you're doing inside of work. Outside of aviation work, your wife, as we've learned, your mom of three boys, as we've learned, you are also a fiercely positive advocate for women and girls through writing, through speaking. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? And then maybe how are you keeping it all together? Uh, I know, a huge question. <laughs> like I said before, I'm so passionate about personal growth. Because I know where I'm coming from. I know where I'm coming from. So I know what it has taken me to be who I am today. I'm still a work in progress, though. Amen. So I, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I desire that every young girl or every young woman or every person around me, you know, sees that in each of us lies immense potentials just waiting to be, you know, unwrapped. I remember Patty telling me about Zonta some years back. She said, Katie, you're going to do so well in Zonta Club. Just join Zonta Club. And then the director of Lagos in Nigerian Airspace Management Agency, you know, just took a liking to me. And she's like, I mean, Zonta, do you want to come join me? I'm like, okay. So she said, I'm going to have you anchor the Emilia Earhart Day for Zonta International, Lagos. And I'm like, really? So I'm like, she said, okay, yeah. So she got me uh, two pilots and air hostess to come speak to a group of young girls. How cool. It was beautiful. So I've been doing that every year. So she's telling me now that she's going to hand over the hosting of Emilia Earhart Day to me to, to anchor every other year. So last year, or uh, early this year, I took one of my senior colleagues, Mrs. Uh, Doris Ekada. I told her, I want you to come. I call her my big sis. I'm like, big sis, I want you to come along with me and, you know, do this. And she went and she's like, this is an awesome experience. Because some of these young girls don't even know the teaming job potential that is within aviation. You know, that being an aviator is not just air traffic control, to be an air hostess, an engineer, a pilot. There are so many other, you know, aspects of, you know, aviation that they can get into. So when you talk to these young girls and you see the excitement, you see this, there's this unquenchable hunger for knowledge when they begin to ask questions. So it gives me so much joy when I speak to young, you know, people. I, I have 
another group I belong to and we mentor young girls. Yes, so we mentor young girls on just living a life of purpose, allowing them get to know who they are and appreciate themselves for who they are, first of all. Because you, you, you've got to love yourself first before someone else loves you. You know, so it gives me joy. And like you said, how do I do it? I don't know how I do it. There are days I, I overwhelm myself. There are so many days I've had, I've, I've broken down crying and asking God, who am I? What do you want of me? Because it's like there's so much, you know, about me that I can't even begin to bring them all together. You know, so once the inspiration hits me, I either talk or I put it down in writing. And it, it gives me so much joy. That's a part of me people don't get to know. That even though I appear to be, you know, that out there in your face, I crave my quiet time a lot because that is when I get the inspiration. That is where I get the power to be, be able to tell someone this is how, share my story of how far I've come, you know. And because of the experience I have with my second son, he has taught me so much about patience. You know, when you see a child that has been written off, my son uh, did not walk till he was a year and seven months. Which has to be so unnerving as a mom. Like when you have, when you have a, an infant or toddler that is that young and that yes. sick. He was sick. And did you know, like, did they know right away or was that a longer diagnosis well, to make? No, uh, they were just trying to find out what was happening because at birth he had some respiratory issues. You know, they're like, okay, he's going to be all right. But I, my mom kept saying, I don't think this boy is okay. We need to get back to the hospital. Then we got back to the hospital. They said, oh, this is what we are suspecting. We're suspecting he has uh, my cerebral palsy. He might have delayed development, uh, my stones. And really they were delayed. You know, having had, had my first son, and he, he walked, he sat, he crawled, you know, he talked at the appropriate time. So seeing this boy having these issues broke me. It broke me into tiny pieces and brought me back together. That is what it did to me. So it made me stronger. It made me appreciate life more. It made it, I just saw tenacity. I saw resilience in this young boy's eyes. You know, struggling to sit up, struggling to walk. And after yeah, seven months, he took his first steps. You know, it's been, uh, you know, an uphill, you know, from one stage to the other. So it has taught me persistence. It has taught me empathy. It has taught me, you know, grace under duress. It has taught me um, gratitude, even when you're groaning. It has taught me to see life beyond what is available for us to see physically. So it has taught me to see the next person and begin to look out for the potentials that other people do not see. Because that's what I saw in my son. I saw a young boy who was trying to tell me, Mommy, I might not be able to do what my elder brother or other babies are doing, but I'm going to do my thing at my time and I'm going to break, you know, records. And he's doing that. He'll be oh. nine. Yes. He'll be nine by November. He walked at a year and seven months. We had to place him on hearing aids for a number of years. He, he was okay. My son was on diapers till he was four years old because he couldn't control his facilities. He couldn't control himself. But at four years plus, he stopped using the diapers on his own. 
he's potty trained himself. So I see a young boy who is teaching me that, mommy, there's nothing you set your mind to doing that you don't get to do. So why won't I bring that into every aspect of my life and tell people that there's nothing you set your mind that you don't get to do? So I think God gave me this child because he was preparing me for something greater than what I'm seeing now. Oh my gosh. Kate, as I'm listening, I, I didn't realize it until you stopped talking that my hand has like slowly moved to my heart and I'm just holding it as you speak. <laughs> he is such an inspiration. You are such uh, an inspiration. He is. He is. He is an inspiration. He is. He, I've never seen a stronger person in my life. I've never seen a more dedicated person in my life. He is so, you know, he, my, my son right now does things the doctors thought he would never do. We'll go for evaluation and they're telling me this boy is a miracle. So that, that is what gives me the strength. That is what helps me. That is what enables me to do the things I do. You know, I just want to give back to life what life has given to me. And that's a child who is healing. So that is why I am, I am the way I am. I completely understand how this fire has been lit in you now that you've explained this. This is so unexpected and so beautiful and so inspirational to hear. Thank you. One of the things you also mentioned was that you get this kind of recharge in your quiet space. What does that mean and what does that look like for you? And how on earth is that available to you as a mom of three little boys? (laughs) I call them holy terrors. (laughs) (laughs) When they're not inspiring, they're just raising hell, right? (laughs) Yeah, raising a lot of hell, but teaching me a lot of things. I... I crave my quiet period a lot because that is when I get the snippets of my inspiration. That is when I take note of what is happening around me and begin to receive the messages they are sending to me. I get motivated by anything around me. People, events, movements, sounds. At times, they come rushing so much that I'm literally shaking. I need to get a pen and start writing. You know, my quiet time gives me time to retrospect and ask myself what I did. Did I do it well? Do I need to do it better or should I just lay back? It gives me time to also ask myself some questions, some much needed questions. Because I found out that what actually denies us um, that growth we desire is when we don't listen to ourselves. So the quiet times gives me opportunity to listen to myself to talk to myself, to ask myself questions and allow myself give me answers. My quiet times can come in any, it can come anywhere. At times, it could be when I'm in the kitchen, it could be when I'm doing my laundry, it could be anywhere. I could just be with you and I'll just kind of knock off for some few minutes. You could be talking and I'm like just looking at you. I'm having that those moments. So there are no dedicated times for me. It can happen anywhere. But it's the time for me to recharge. It gives me time to actually go into myself, ask myself questions. I remember a friend of mine, you know, a colleague of mine, a, a, control, a type of controller too, we're together in the college of aviation in the same class. 
Emmanuel said something. He said, I've, I'm yet to meet a person like you who asks herself questions before she says anything. And like he said, yes. He said, when I'm looking at you, I see yourself asking yourself questions. Do I, should I do this? Should I say this before you say it? And I told him, I never knew I was that transparent. He said, but that is a, a part of you that you've so honed that you don't even know you have that ability. And when I say things or do things, I have this patient of going back and going over them again, asking myself, should I have said it this other way? Maybe if I had said it this way, this person would have gotten the message clearer. Or should I have done this? Should I have done that? So it keeps me in check. It helps me, you know. Like I said, I'm a work in progress. All I want to do is impact life. All I want to do is to be a northern star. I don't want to be a shooting star at all. I just want to be a northern star. Silently there, constantly there, guiding people to their purpose. That's all I want to do in life. So that's what my quiet time affords me. And I enjoy it. And what is so interesting in hearing you describe this, like, I feel like I'm one of these people that very much like you gets inspiration, usually outside of the predictable place, mm -hmm. right? Like, so I think, you know, I'm constantly reading books about functional nutrition or, or sleep studies or things like yeah. that, that, that I need to kind of know to do what I do. But I find like when I go other places and I'm in a museum or I'm in a different city and I'm thinking mm. of things different, mm. that quiet space is a time for like bringing all those lessons. And I think, you know, yes. experiences too, right? Like, yeah. oh, I wish the conversation yeah. went down differently. I wish mm. I handled this situation better. Yes. I wish I was more strategic yes. over here. Yeah. Yes. I think there's like taking that quiet space and letting all of these different inputs connect. What I'm also hearing you describe that I don't hear people talk about as much is how actively you are reflecting on things. So it sounds like to me, when a situation goes well, you are reflecting, what can I do again? What can I take from yeah. this and use again? When a yeah. situation does not go well, you're like, how can I do it differently yeah. next time so yeah. that I don't have this same sort of I don't have to navigate this situation in the same way again, mm -hmm. unsuccessfully, perhaps. You just summed it up for me beautifully. And uh, if you follow my writing, you follow the things I post, that is exactly what is happening to me. So when I think of something, I ask myself, if I had done it this way, maybe it would have been better. If I had done this, maybe it would have, you know, resorted to this. The only thing uh, about it that it does to me is it helps me join the dots, you know, yes. to form. Yes. I just see myself connecting the dots. And before I know it, I have a perfect, beautiful picture that I either have to paint or leave it the way it is in monochrome. You know, because the time life gives you, you know, colors to paint with, times it gives you black and white. So all you need to do is to make sure you get the best picture out there. So when I get those situations and I need to join the dots and I know I need to add color, that is when I go back to begin to sieve from what I have learned from those experiences so that when I get similar situations, I know where to add the color to make it a beautiful picture. Or when it gives me the monochrome, what do I do? I make sure I, I add more highlights so that it comes out sharper. So that is just what life to me is in summation. At times, my husband tells me, you're, you're too deep 
you at times you're so deep i can't even reach you yes he says at times you get so deep i can't even reach you you know so but meaning like you're are you lost in the thought or you're just thinking about something that is five years ahead Yes, he he says at times I get too detailed or too meticulous that he's lost in the whole, you know, it has to be this way, you, you need to do it this way. I said, I know, but that is what my intuition is telling me and it has never led me wrong. So, but he's, he's, he says at times there are things I don't even expect you to remember that you remember. And I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> You know, but I think that's that's the part of me I'm still trying to develop. I was in a class, a, a paid class, this Mind Valley Masterclass. Lisa Nicholson was taking us on knowing yourself. And at a point in time when she was talking about getting to know yourself, I felt as if she was talking to me. Because I remember <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was crying. Because it's like she was telling me, open the chapters of your life. Every chapter has a story to tell. And every chapter has an audience that you have to tell the story to. So you cannot jump to the next chapter of your life unless you tell that audience that story. And that is what I've intended to do. What I just did to you now, talking about my son, is what I've never done. What? I, yes. Kara, you're the first person. I'm, as in saying it out, that put it out there, let people know. I've never done it. But I'm like, it's time for me to talk about this boy. And what it has done to me. So you have the privilege of putting out there. And let me know that I have a special new child. Who is not just doing well. Who has exceeded the milestone set you know, for him by his doctors. So it's. And I'm happy I'm talking about it. Because it's, it's a healing process for me too. It's I never would have guessed. Yes. That, it's a that, healing process. Kate, I am honored and, and grateful to be in this space with you sharing that. You know, I just tell few people I have a child who has issues, but I've never gone into details. You know, you know what it means to 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 carry a child who has never called you mom. He has never spoken a word to me. Oh, but I look, I look into his eyes, and the depth of love shocks me. And I just know that this boy is telling me that, Mommy, there's nothing you set your mind to doing that you cannot do. So like I said, he, I close my eyes, I think of him, and I'm like, God, thank you for giving me this child. Because maybe if I hadn't had him, I wouldn't have known this depth of myself like I know myself today. So I tell people, that is what makes me reach out to other women. When a woman tells me I'm going through this, it, it might not be as much as I've, I've gone through, but I know she is also going through something. So it, it enables me to do what? Give my shoulders. It could be a word of comfort. It could be a call. It could be a text message. It could be just you can do it. You know? Yes. So once I, yes. It has equipped me with that empathy that I, I can't hold it. I can't hold it in. I, all I need to do is to reach out, bring people together, and let them know that there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing you set your mind to do that you cannot do. And that's what I, I always tell my people. A life of purpose is a life where you accept who you are, your limitations, your disabilities, your capabilities, bring them all together and make a beautiful picture. That is just what life demands of us. And that is what my son has given me. And what you continue to give everyone else. And I think 
something really important that I want to highlight in what you just said is often how easy it can be to support another woman. And I know there is sometimes a sense of rivalry and competitiveness against women or among women that I don't always understand. And I feel like it's something I would love to get my head around at some point. Mm. But it is often so much easier than we think, right? Like you just a kind word at the right moment, just a hug at the right moment, just smiling at someone. And to your point, like just saying, you've, you've got this. I, I know you're feeling a whole host of probably uncomfortable feelings right now, but you got this. I remember at the conference, I don't know if you were there at that session, uh, we're talking about the girl child. And I remember coming to say, there's, a, there's an adage in, in, in Africa that says, train a child, train a nation. Train a girl child. If you raise a girl child, you're raising a nation. Because a girl child is going to go forward, you know, to not only train her own children, every child that comes across her path becomes a, a, a point of, you know, grooming. And I was telling someone that the problem we have as women, I'm talking to us now, I'm talking to us sisters, is the issue of acceptance. We must accept ourselves before we get included. So it's it's supposed to be acceptance before inclusion. Now you don't go to war with an opponent when within you there's some, you know, distrust. That's what is happening to us. And that's why there's so much bullshit, you know, that they throw, they throw shades at us. Because even within us, there's a lot of tearing down instead of building up. So if we accept ourselves for who we are and what we stand for, then when we go out there, they cannot but include us. They cannot but accept us and see that we're not just a part. We're, we're not just you know a, a, a tiny part. We are an integral part of the whole. Yes. We are yes. an integral part of the whole. Take out the, that integral, integral part, it, it ceases to be a whole. So that is what we should do as a community of women. You know, accept ourselves for our differences, for our beauty, for our passions, for our talents. Bring it all in, bring it all in. And you see, it becomes a formidable force. You know, when I, when I met you uh, earlier on this year in April, there was this spark around you. You know, when you speak, there's a spark in your eyes. I'm like, who is this dynamite of a lady? Because everything about you was so positive. It was so positive. It was, it was full of light. You know, it's, it's something you cannot lay your hands on, but you feel it. There was this energy around you. And, and I was so glad when you reached out to me. You know, I, across the room, I look at you and I see the light. It's, it's all over you. You just want to reach out to people, ask them questions, encourage, say what they're, you know, uh, you know, bring out people, make them laugh. And I'm like, this is what it should be. You know, like a binding force, you know, like a magnet. Bring out everybody from their shells. And let's come together. That's what you did. And I absolutely love, love what you're doing. I absolutely love it. So you can imagine bringing women from different fields of life to talk about you know, the BS we face and how to go about it and how to encourage people to actually avoid 
having such beers. Do you know what you're doing? You're building up a tribe of women who will look out for one another and go out and begin to build their, you know, little little enclaves of tribes. And before you know it, it becomes a formidable force. So you're doing a wonderful job. Oh, Kate, thank you. And that that feeling is mutual. I remember just thinking, it's like she's made out of stone, but like <laughs> flexible stone, right? Yeah. Like because yeah. you just have like there was such a groundedness, and I think now like when we met and I was watching you from across the room, and I saw how you were interacting and how pensive you were and how thoughtful you were like not measured in a way that you were you were holding anything back but like you were observing and I think now that we've gotten to have this conversation one-on-one well I guess with everybody listening too (laughs) you know I think I've gotten a sense of like just how deep the thinking that's happening like before you react or before you respond to things or when you go up to the mic to ask a question of the speaker, like what that's been filtered through. And it's really like, I am so excited when I cross paths with women like you. And I feel like because of this podcast, I am getting to cross paths with amazing women doing other amazing things and also most importantly, I think one of the things I look for in everyone that I talk to on this podcast is how are you lifting up other women? Because I think that's also how we make some of the bullshit go away. Yes. Right? Yes. Like we that's, have to focus that, yeah. on like one, doing the internal homework on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then that, also that's... how do we take care of each other as women? before we go out there and out there. face everything else that we have to yeah. deal with. That is, that, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. Seriously, that's exactly what you're doing. You might not know the impact or the input of what you're doing, but that's what you're doing. So every woman <laughs> Most days I have with, zero idea. <laughs> you, you wouldn't know. Now, when you cross part with women and we talk about this, do you know what, what you just did to me? Now, if I was... Number five, after speaking with you tonight, I'm going to make sure I up my game to 10 because I know I have a duty. That's the truth. I have a duty to fulfill and which is what to encourage more women to begin to appreciate themselves. Appreciate who you are. If you don't, there's an adage um, from the Igbo speaking tribe of Nigeria. There's an adage that says the co-wife, you know, traditionally, you know, polygamy is something that is peculiar to Africa. Okay. An adage that says, if you don't take care of your eating pot, the eating pot was a pot used in cooking in the olden days. If you don't take care of your eating pot, your co-wife uses it to pack trash. Ooh. Do you get it? Yes. Ooh. So, yes. So if you don't take care of your eating pot, which is you and the beautiful teeming potentials lying inside you, just waiting to be ignited, to break into those beautiful, glittering, unnumbered stars. If you don't do that, the next person next to you, the next person to you is going to rubbish you. That's the truth. So you must accept yourself. Like I tell people, there's nobody like me in all humility, and there never will be. 
So all I need to do is to make sure that the space God has given me, I maximize it. I make sure I leave my footprints in the sands of time. It mustn't be huge footprints. Little footprints that people will step into and make their own you know, footprints bigger. That is all I want of life. If every woman should see he herself that way and see and not see the other sister or lady as a rival, believe you me, girl, we'll run the world the way we are running it. That's the truth. <laughs> Seriously. It's yes. hard to feel that way some days. I feel like Yes, I know. Like the the political sphere, which yes. is is just such a dumpster fire. I know it is. In here, I know just here in some Nigeria of the issues too. in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it is it it just seems so pervasive that it's we need a reminder like you just gave us. And I, I, I feel like I could just keep saying thank you and thank you and thank you and I, thank I, you. I should, I should be thanking you. I should be thanking you. <laughs> I so much support women pulling each other up. I so much, you know, support women. You know, I came across um, something somewhere that made me drop, you know, I, I get inspired to, to write quotes. And I said, enough of stepping into glass slippers and more of shattering glass ceilings. You know, enough of putting on the waves and, it, and more of hair-raising moments. That's the only <laughs> way we can make our mark. That's the truth. You know, when when... People come and say, because she's a woman, why would you classify me like that? I'm a human being with potentials. Give me my space and watch me grow. So what we need to do is to celebrate our own, celebrate ourselves, appreciate ourselves, accept ourselves. And when we do that, the other person or the other people do not have any option but to accept us. You know. So I know with time, and one thing about this, the, 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 whole, uh, the whole drama is, at the background, they know we are a formidable force. Yes. I think they that's, do know. I think that's, that's where true. some of the, the, the anger is being fueled and yes. generated yes. from. Like, yes. If we were a non-issue, like, it, it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be the energy behind yes. it right now. Exactly, exactly. So you don't you don't get scared of uh, something that doesn't scare you. <laughs> that's a it's a good way to say it. You don't get it, that's the truth. So if you don't scare me, why would I get scared? I only get scared of something that I know that is threatening to me. That's what happens. I'm not saying that there are not you know you know a lot of men out there who are supportive, who are encouraging. But what I'm saying is that there should be more of them. There should be more of them. You know, there should be more of them because this issue of uh, she's a woman, she shouldn't do this, she shouldn't fit into this political seat, she shouldn't uh, do this, she shouldn't handle this, she shouldn't head this. It's not right. Let's take out this, you know, sex thing and talk about individuals, you know, as a person. What can she bring to the table? That's the only way we can make progress. So it's it's been a a whole beautiful journey for me. I've grown, I've grown from the time I, I I broke down because the BS was too much. I've grown from the time I said to her we did. I've grown from the time I I, I heard someone say you can do it. I've grown from what, what so someone telling me 
don't give in. I've grown from seeing other people grow, you know, and heal from, you know, the, 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 the wounds of the battle, so to speak. I've grown by meeting people like you who tells me that you can do it no matter what you're facing, you know, by just being an igniter. That's what you are. You're an igniter, igniting those logs of wood. And Kate, there. you are a force of nature, my friend. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful. All you're doing is just ignite people across the globe. Whatever we are, what we need to do now is to make sure the light you've, you've actually started within us doesn't go, you know, dim. So we need to actually keep igniting other people. So that before you know it, everybody is infused with warmth and light. Yes. And, yeah. You know. Kate, so. you have been amazing. You have so inspired me. I have no doubt that everyone that hears us will also be inspired by your words. I always like to end with one question because I want to make sure that it also gives you the space if there's anything else that you feel like we need to know because we've heard so many different aspects of your story we've heard about your work we've heard about what inspires you we've heard about what re-energizes you what do you most want the vital course salon listeners to know coming away from our conversation today hmm. that's a beautiful question it may come across as such a simple question but that is the core of everything we live for and breathe for. I just want us to know and never forget it that there's no one as special, as beautiful, as talented, as strong as you, whoever is listening. Let me tell you something. God doesn't make mistakes. Within you lies numerous keys to open so many doors that people are going to walk through and become who they are meant to be in life. So not living up to who you are, you're actually shutting the doors to so many people who walk through you and become who they are. So I just want to encourage us today to please dig deep, reach deep within you and pull out those keys and begin to unlock those doors inside you, those doors of potentials, of breakthroughs, those doors that people will walk through and turn back and tell you thank you. And also open doors for other generations to walk through. Remember that there's nothing you set your mind to that you cannot achieve. All it takes is asking yourself, is it worth it? Can I do it? And say, yes, I can. When you tell yourself that there's no hill too high for you to climb, there's no valley too deep for you to go through, there's no river too wide for you to cross to get to who you're meant to be. So I keep encouraging people as, as I encourage others, I encourage myself. Yes. Wherever you are today is where somebody was yesterday and is where somebody wants to be tomorrow. Never forget that. So you need to keep moving a step at a time till you get to your zenith. That is what makes life beautiful. Looking back and seeing that for every step you raised, someone else is stepping into it and making sure your step is not lost. When the waters of life comes washing over the, the shores of, of where you've walked on, making sure that every time you raise your leg, someone is stepping into your footstep. It that's what makes a difference. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing we take with us when we leave the world. What we take with us is the memories of the people who have passed through us, the lives we've touched. And Kara, you've touched my life in a very special way. I'm not gonna forget you in a lifetime. 
Thank you so much. Kate, the feeling is so mutual. I am humbled to be in your presence. I have learned <gasps> no so much. I, I can't thank you for sharing who you are and what you're about and how you do it with everyone listening. Kate, I don't know when and how our paths will cross again, but I have no doubt that they will. It will. It will. Thank it you. Will. I have I have the feeling it will sooner than we expect it. <laughs> I hope you're right, lady. I hope you're yes. right. Wow, everyone. It's Kara. I'm back with a heart exploding open and kind of an empty stomach right now. I just wanted to remind you of a few things. First and most importantly, you can find any resources that Kate and I touched on, as well as all the ways you can connect with Kate, including at Katie's Corner on Facebook. You can find all of that in the show notes over at LeVitalCoreSalon.com. Did you dig this podcast with Kate? Or do you dig what she's doing out there in the world? Then please show your support by sharing this podcast with one woman you know. You can also subscribe to LeVital Salon wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, if you'd like to get the newsletter, you can text SALON to 444-999 or sign up over at LeVital Salon. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for supporting Kate. And I want to say thank you to the people that support me and the creation of this podcast. And that would be my producer and husband, Craig Snyder. That would be my assistant, Darlene Victoria. I want to thank Patty Wilson, the president of Professional Women Controllers, for helping connect Kate and I. And I want to thank Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and the High Dials for my most excellent theme song. And I know what I'm about to say is often forgotten, but I don't want you to forget. You deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you. See you next time.